0: Great to be with you this morning. My name is Matthew Caldwell and I'm one of the pastors here at Knox. And now for the scripture reading, our Old Testament lesson comes from the book of Deuteronomy chapter 30 verses 1 through 4. Deuteronomy 30, 1 through 4. Listen for God's word to us today. Moses said to the people, when all these things have happened to you, the blessings and the curses that I have set before you, If you call them to mind among all the nations where the Lord your God has driven you and return to the Lord your God, and you and your children obey him with all your heart and with all your soul, just as I am commanding you today, then the Lord your God will restore your fortunes and have compassion on you, gathering you again from all the peoples among whom the Lord your God has scattered you. Even if you are exiled to the ends of the world, from there the Lord your God will gather you, and from there he will bring you back. A reading from Deuteronomy chapter 30, and then our New Testament lesson comes from the Gospel of John chapter 17, verses 20 through 24. Jesus prayed to God the Father, I remember well a conversation I had on the topic of remote connection, remote connection. That was the topic for a particular discussion that was held on Yale's Religious Studies campus. The discussion was part of a forum called Faith as a Way of Life, put on by Yale's Center for Faith and Culture. It includes pastors, poets, artists, business people, homemakers, a variety of folks who came together looking at faith's impact in a variety of arenas of life. And that particular day, our question was this, was it possible to have genuine human relationship when you can't be physically together? All 16 of us seated in a New Haven classroom agreed some human connection was certainly possible online or through phone calls. That seemed obvious. But when you want to speak about deep human relationships or community with all the riches and challenges that term implies, can you have that without physical proximity, without embodied gathering? Now, some of us argued that remote connections could be meaningful precursors to community. They could be ways to build what would ultimately be full relationships. They could be forms of maintaining community. But at some point, some of us argued there has to be human presence for community in its truest meaning to occur. Same place, same time, bodies gathered. But there were others who had a different Arguments. They felt that a remote relationship represented not something in any way approximate or incomplete. When it came to community, remote could be the real thing, they argued. One participant in particular said that a friendship he had with another living overseas where the two had never met and lived in different countries and only corresponded via email, never met in person. That was a friendship, a rich, deep friendship, not lacking in anything. This particular individual had been quite dispassionate for many of the other discussions of this forum, but on this point, he became quite emotional. Relationships matter to us, and we don't like thinking of them as partial or incomplete. We didn't settle the question that day, even after the heated discussion. But looking back on it now that conversation seems rather quaint none of us gathered in that classroom had health or mobility issues that prevented us from gathering with others in one place and time today the question of remote connection we raise with far greater urgency for each of us currently lacks that former privilege of being able to gather safely and in person with others. Remote is all most of us have. So can we know full community with those outside our immediate household in COVID-19 days, or can we know only approximations of it? There's a television show on Netflix that has recently posed this question. What kind of community can you have remotely? You may have seen the show called The Circle. It's a social experiment carried out in the form of a reality game show. Eight contestants are placed in isolated, separate apartments with no contact, at least initially, with the outside world. They could only interact with other contestants on a private social media platform called The Circle. They compete for the chance to win $100,000 by becoming the most popular person in the game. They connect via chats and posts. Some of them pose as people they are not. A man named Seaburn pretends to be a woman named Rebecca, and he posts pictures of his girlfriend pretending that they are pictures Of himself. This kind of pretense is called in the show catfishing. Karen, a lesbian, poses as a much thinner straight woman named Mercedes. But even with these catfish in the waters, connections begin to form between the eight initial contestants and others who are added to the mix. Connections you might call friendships? Still, The great drama of the show comes when the various contestants who previously had only met remotely finally meet in the flesh. When a contestant is voted off the show, they're allowed to visit one other player of their choice, and those connections are electric, as if the game suddenly got real. Near the end of the show, the five contestants still remaining finally meet in person for the first time. They meet around a dinner table, and there is delight and surprise and discovery and joy like a curtain has been pulled back, in human relationships previously, and their formative stages are are realized. On one hand, the show reminds us that there are powerful forms of connection that we can have remote-like but it also shows there is something irreplaceable to embodied presence, same place, same time, connecting with a handshake or an embrace, connecting in a way that's described in the show as IRL, in real life. So what do you do when you can't connect with others, IRL, in real life? What do you do when you might once have known the delights of gathered in-person community, but your present is a scattered, separate existence? What kind of community can you have then? That's a question that our scriptures raise repeatedly. You'll remember back when the story began in the book of Genesis, we saw the human story was a rich embodied community in the first chapters of Genesis. Human beings in Genesis 2 are portrayed as distinct and yet deeply interconnected, connected with each other, with God, with the natural world in mutually supportive relationships full of physicality. That tight, idyllic community is broken by sin, and humans are cast out of Eden. But then we read in Genesis 11 that to further disrupt humanity's empire-building ambitions, God scatters the human race across the earth, and that raises this crucial question. How do you know unity, connection with others, when you are separated across distance and language? Well, in Genesis 12, the next chapter, we see God promising Abram and Sarai, this family of faith, this people called and claimed by God, a gathering place. This place God notes for them and for their descendants would be a place where they could know blessing and be a blessing to the world. And this people called by God would finally mark one raised area of land as their communal center. They would call it Mount Zion, Jerusalem, city of God. And they would designate one space on Mount Zion as the temple, that gathering space where they could know connection with God and one another and out from which they could be a blessing, a light to all nations and places. But there was a scattering Yet to come. We read about it in today's passage from Deuteronomy. We read that God's people would be driven to other nations and places, yet they are promised if they return to the Lord their God with all their heart and soul, if they obeyed God's commandments, they would know an ingathering once again. Well, that scattering and gathering. It took historic expression when Jerusalem and its great temple was destroyed by the Babylonian Empire in 586 BCE. Jerusalem and its city and its temple were destroyed and many former residents killed or driven into exile. And for years, those who survived asked the question, how can we know community? How can we sing the Lord's song in a foreign land? Well, some 50 years later, there was a famous regathering with the Persian Empire replacing Babylon as the reigning superpower king. Cyrus of the Persians authorized the rebuilding of the Jewish temple and the return of exiles. We read about all that in the books of Ezra and Nehemiah. When Jesus was a boy, we read in Luke's gospel: Jewish families like his would travel to that rebuilt second temple three times a year for Passover, for Pentecost, and for the Feast of Tabernacles, observant Jews would all congregate in Jerusalem so they could be one gathered people at one place, one point in time, together for worship. What a rich sense of community they must have known. Imagine how that shaped the boy Jesus. No wonder he was enraged when the temple came to represent in his adulthood not a house of prayer for all peoples, but a den of robbers where those who prayed on the widow and the poor sought pious protection. And then some 40 years after Jesus was crucified and raised, that second temple, that second Jerusalem temple was destroyed. Rome was the reigning superpower at that time, and Rome had grown tired of Jewish revolts against Roman occupation and their oppressive taxation. And so in 70 of the common era, Rome temple, hundreds of thousands of Jews and enslaving thousands more. Well, you know, most scholars Imagine that the gospel of John came to us in its final form some 10 to 30 years after the destruction of that second temple. In other words, for those who first heard these words from John's gospel in its final form, the destruction of the temple was not ancient history, it was recent history. And so a live question for the Jewish people at that time and a live question for that reform movement within Judaism that would come to be known as Christianity was this. How do we know true community with God and one another when we are scattered and can't gather at a common temple? It's a question we ask today. And it's to that question Jesus speaks in today's passage from John. To a people lacking a common space and time to gather as one, Jesus says, to God the Father, these words. The glory that you have given me, I have given them, with them, referring to Jesus' disciples and those in the future who would believe in him by the testimony of his disciples. Jesus goes on, and I have given them that glory that they may be one as we are one, I in them and you in me, that they may become completely one. That way the world will know that you have sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Jesus speaks here of a kind of depth in relationship with each other and God, where they're not separate, but one. This unity is portrayed as a gift given, a deed accomplished. God sent glory into the world in Jesus Christ. God poured out God's love for the world in Jesus Christ. And with that glory, with that love, it was like a people formerly scattered were were gathered. Only the center of their gathering was no longer a building called the temple. It was Christ Himself. And the gathering place was no longer a plot of land. It was the love of Christ poured out for them. This scattered people had been made so interconnected with each other and God that the metaphor Christ uses to describe their connections is the very relationship Christ enjoys with the Father, a kind of mutual indwelling, mutual in dwelling, that kind of oneness. That's how we describe the deepest of relationships, isn't it? A mutual indwelling where we're inside the other, a part of the other. Back when I could visit Monta Vista Grome's health center before COVID-19 and protective measures, when I'd go to visit the Reverend Dr. Dan Newhall, always he would speak about his wife of more than 50 years, Doty. Doty had gone to be with the Lord several years ago, but it was like she lives on in him. And it was like a part of him had died when she passed. They were a part of each other after more than 50 years of marriage. It was a kind of mutual indwelling. It isn't that language, isn't that imagery we part of each other. A part of us is in a, that's the kind of connection Jesus says that believers have with each other and with God. Thanks to what God has done in Jesus Christ, bringing glory to the world, pouring out his love for them in Christ. You see, whether or not we feel connected to each other and our God at this point in time, we are connected with each other and our God at this point point in time, even occupying different physical places, we have been made one community. It's a gift we possess now. For the unity Christ gives us doesn't depend on our gathering together. In fact, it doesn't depend on anything we do. We read it was accomplished in Christ, his dying, his rising for us, gathering in person it could sure help us recognize the gift of Christian community. It can help us appreciate and savor it. But even at home stay day is community with God and one another is ours. We have it now. And yet, there's also a prayer in today's text from John 17, a prayer where in our Savior's words, there's a future still to come. Jesus prays that his disciples might be completely one or perfectly one. And the Greek word describing the kind of oneness is teteloi menoi, which implies a kind of ultimate fulfillment. There's a sense in this prayer from John 17 that even though believers have been given a oneness with one another and with God in Christ, there is a fulfillment of Christian community, isn't it? We have community as a gift, but community is a promise for a world yet to come. We have connection with one another in Christ now. And yet there is a quality to our community that remains partial, unrealized. And Lord, are we aware of that in COVID-19 days? Our experience of Christian community can feel especially proximate in these times of remote connection. It's better by far than no connection, no community. But it's not yet that community we long for. It reminds us Christian community in its fullest expression is still a prayer and a promise Jesus has for us. We live between community given and community yet to come. So friends, hold tight to both in these days of COVID-19. It is already yours. Remember the community you have been given and hold now. Several of you have commented on ways you have sensed community with others recently. Sue Kilpatrick has shared how technology has provided connection. Eric has said how prayer and intercession has given him a sense of connection with others. Todd shares how common experiences with friends have given him that sense of how he is linked to others. Others have noted checking in with each other's or Compline services or daily prayer times. Ben has talked about connections through phone calls and with family members, and Josh talked about the Animate series. Ellie has talked about making and delivering cloth masks. What a lovely way of connection through mission. Well, like Dorothy, one way I have felt connected even when I can't gather with you all in person is through these daily devotional times. We've been meeting at 7.30 a.m., not in the same space, but at the same time for about 10 minutes on Facebook Live. And we're going to be starting to have these daily prayer times at 9 p.m. as well, beginning Monday. I can't promise that they will always be inspiring but they will be a reminder of the oneness we already possess now in Jesus Christ. Remember what you have, community, the riches of that community Christ has given you through his love and glory poured out for the church But remember, too, what is still to come. Each time you suffer from Zoom fatigue or get tired of staring at a screen all day or leave this worship service or a time of daily prayer on Facebook feeling oddly unfulfilled, remember there is a quality of community yet to come. There is a future to which Jesus pointed us and for which he prayed. Community in Christ, it's yours now and it's a promise for the future hold tight to both friends in the name of the father son and holy ghost amen